Sunday alcohol sales could soon be a reality. Next, we'll have the latest from the State House, and we'll talk with House Public Policy Chairman Ben Smaltz, plus Senator Joe Donnelly on DACA and his experience meeting with the president. Then we'll hear from some of the candidates who want to replace Donnelly in the Senate. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning. A lot of news to get to from D.C., but we start this Sunday with the debate over Sunday alcohol sales in Indiana, which for the first time looks like it could become a reality. The bill passed the Senate committee at the Statehouse this past week and could be up for a full vote in the Senate in the coming days. Zach Myers has the latest. The Senate Public Policy Committee voted unanimously 9-0 to zero in favor of passing the bill to allow Hoosiers to buy carry-out alcohol on Sundays. Identical bills in the House and Senate to legalize Sunday sales are being bolstered by an agreement late last year between the Indiana Retail Council and the Association of Beverage Retailers, an organization that has opposed Sunday sales in the past. Oftentimes people think, or People say things change, but things do change. Uh, we have evolved on this issue. Retail Council President Grant Monahan testified that Indiana loses at least $12 million a year when Hoosiers drive to neighboring states to buy alcohol on Sunday. And when those people do that, they're not just buying a case of beer and then coming home. They're taking their entire shopping list with them. Support for Sunday sales, including key Republican leadership, comes after the Alcohol Code Revision Commission supported a plan that would allow for Sunday sales between noon and 8 p.m. on Sundays. But the Indiana Coalition to Reduce Underage Drinking has concerns. Anytime you expand alcohol, hours and days of sale, you will increase access to minors. The coalition wants lawmakers to require clerks who sell alcohol to be at least 21 with special training on spotting fake IDs. They want alcohol to be separated from other products in stores, an increase in the state alcohol tax, and a study after two years to measure any impact on underage drinking and accidents. The bill's author in the House says these matters will likely be debated when it's called up again next Wednesday. We've done our homework. We've done what we were supposed to do. We worked on it all fall, and uh, I, I think that we'll have the support of the committee. That Senate bill that passed is expected to be the main vehicle for this. It now moves to the full Senate for a second reading, likely early next week. We're comfortable with the way this is progressing, but not going to be overconfident at this point. All right, Zach, thanks. The Sunday sales issue was notably not among the topics discussed by Governor Holcomb this past week when he delivered his second State of the State address. But he did touch on one of the biggest controversies he's faced so far. Our Matt Smith has more. Matt? Dan, good morning. Well, what he didn't focus on was a number of those hot topics, including Sunday sales, gun permits, medical marijuana. The governor in his state of the state last week spending a lot of time talking about workforce, jobs, aligning the open jobs with new training and new skills. Also still proving to be controversial this weekend as we look to the new week is the issue surrounding DCS, the former director resigning last month, a scathing review of the agency saying the state potentially putting child's lives at risk. The governor coming out with a strong message. So too are Democrats in response. I'll state right now, there's no one who cares more about Hoosier children than I do. And I will do whatever is necessary to ensure the success of our agency and its mission. I can't find the term to express. It's not disappointment. It's not frustration. 
it's almost anger. And uh, those folks have got to understand the seriousness, the seriousness of this as we move forward. Well, of course, uh, the minority would like to see more emphasis on, uh, on a negative. Uh, I think the governor did it just the way he should, and that was to acknowledge it. All right, we've got the governor's entire address on our website. Meantime this week, and also big news in the race for U.S. Senate, the GOP candidates meeting yesterday, getting an early indication of where Republicans stand in the race. Congressman Luke Messer winning yesterday's straw poll with 45% of the vote. Congressman Todd Rokita coming in second with 25%. Well, the straw poll isn't important. This is a party building exercise and I'm happy to participate in it. But the real poll is, on, is in May and November and that's when we're going to beat uh, the other Republican primary opponents and that's when we're going to beat Joe Donnelly. And it's the grassroots leaders from all over the state of Indiana. I'm proud of the support this U.S. Senate campaign has gotten from grassroots leaders from all over the state. I'm proud of the support we've gotten from college students from every corner uh, of, this, uh, of this great state and, and we're looking forward to the momentum that can come from uh, this debate today. It gives these Senate candidates a chance to introduce themselves to the party faithful, to the grassroots supporters from across the state. All right, also this morning, continued a new reaction to the president's reported comments on Haiti and other African countries. Coming from both Democrats and Republicans, here is Congresswoman Susan Brooks tweeting, quote, I was disappointed to hear the allegations that the president used disparaging language towards Haiti and African nations while discussing immigration. It's not productive to achieve the broader goal of reforming our broken immigration system. Dan. All right, Matt Smith with the latest there. Matt, thanks so much. Meantime, I spoke this week with Senator Joe Donnelly about the president's negotiations on DACA and word of a possible deal late last week amidst a lot of confusion from the White House and more controversial comments from the president about other countries. I spoke with Senator Donnelly on Wednesday before the news broke about those controversial remarks. I, I am very hopeful that we can get this issue settled that these young people are able to stay in Indiana. We have over 10,000 in our state. Um, many of them, Dan, having extraordinary educations, doing wonderful things, um, some trying to find cures for diseases and uh, working every day in engineering and in other positions. And so I'm hopeful we can solve that problem, while at the same time we have to make sure we have secure borders. Um, I voted for immigration reform before. That dramatically increased the number of border agents that increased the amount of technology at the border. And so I think these are, uh, are not uh, in opposition to one another. I think we can make sure that these young people are allowed to stay here while at the same time being able to significantly strengthen the border. Are Democrats willing to shut down the government over this issue? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm here working. I continue to plan to keep working and to, uh, to make sure that our government continues to move forward. What about these talks specifically with the president? Because obviously it's been an interesting couple of weeks with the new book that has come out painting a, a picture, some might say, of dysfunction in the White House. There have been questions about his stability. He has tweeted about that himself. Um, and, and obviously this uh, meeting being televised uh, opened a little bit of a window for people on uh, what it's like to be in a meeting with the president. You have sat with him before in the White House. What has been your experience of his ability to lead some of these meetings on some of these complicated topics? The experiences I've had have been pretty positive, actually, where he understood the issues that we were able to get in depth in the issues. The disappointment was that um, when at one point, you know, for instance, in the tax discussions that we had, 
the president um, basically agreed with all the points uh, that I was making. I said, look, if you do these kind of things, we can get, we can get 70 votes for a tax bill. And he said, all of those are really uh, good ideas, things like keeping jobs in the U.S., things like making sure um, that it's focused on the middle class, um, things like making sure that we don't raise a deficit. He said, that's what I'm trying to do. What seems to happen sometimes, Dan, is that when Mitch McConnell um, gets the legislation, it becomes something completely different than what was discussed at the White House. Senator Donnelly, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you very, very much, Dan. Have a great week. And we also heard from the vice president this week on this DACA issue. The Pences, by the way, will travel to the Middle East next weekend. We've also learned the vice president will lead the U.S. Olympic delegation to South Korea next month. Here's what the vice president had to say about the immigration issue in an interview with Fox News on Wednesday. There's no DACA fix without a wall. We're going to build a wall and we're going to end chain migration or we're going to end the visa lottery program. Uh, and we're going to deal with DACA, but we're going to do it in a way that, that will meet the expectation of the American people. Vice President Pence with Fox News on Wednesday. Up next this Sunday in Focus, who had the best odds of being elected president in 2020 this past week? President Trump, the vice president, both on that list. But what's all this talk about Oprah? Bob Donaldson standing by with our panel. They'll break it all down right after this. Welcome back to In Focus. I'm Bob Donaldson here with our panel today. Tony Samuel was vice chair of the Indiana Trump campaign. Two former state lawmakers, Democrat Christina Hale, Republican Mike Murphy, also former communications director for Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Thank you all for coming in again. Starting off with another firestorm for the White House after the president reportedly made vulgar racist comments during a meeting about immigration referring to Haiti and African countries in a way that we will not repeat on this broadcast. But, Tony, I have to start with you um, talking about this. The president has denied making these comments, but other people in the room have confirmed what, what happened. Right. So we're not sure exactly what was said. We weren't in the room. There are different, there are conflicting reports. You have to also remember that I'm pretty good friends with Rex Early, traveled around the state with him. I've heard a lot worse. And, 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 you know, that's a joke, but it it's, goes to the point that this was a private meeting. The president was expressing himself using some colorful language. It's been done before. It's done in, by executives. It's done by uh, uh, leaders in government. It's done by past presidents. It's just done. It's, what's shameful is that someone on the other side of the, uh, a Democrat senator on the other side of the aisle had to go out and, and run to the press, and now it's blown up. I don't think that I, I know for sure that the president didn't mean it as a racist comment. He was looking at some parts of the world, Africa, uh, where there are countries that aren't in the best shape and was questioning why do we need uh, a certain number uh, of immigrants that are not skilled, that are low, uh, low on the education uh, ranking, and um, wanting to make sure that we have balance in our immigration system. Christina, your thoughts? I think that the president has to be ever mindful of his role as the leader of our country and that everything he says, particularly, Tony, when he's in a room with U.S. senators and others, telegraphs very important things that we have to be attendant to. And when he's signaling some ugly thoughts and um, thinking that's just not acceptable, 
that's not a good thing for America. And we've had far too much drama. Well, Mike, in, in many ways, uh, not to echo what, what Tony has said, but this is not going to come as too much of a surprise to many people. They do know what type of president we have right now, but what kind of an impact does this type of controversy have? Well, first of all, we have American ambassadors to several African nations were recalled, not recalled, but called in for consultations in Africa because he's caused once more another international incident. But I will, I will agree with uh, Tony on one thing. You know, many American presidents in the past could not survive today's scrutiny. I'll give you two examples. John Kennedy said that every time he told the PT-109 story, it got more interesting and better when he included an N-word and a Jew, okay, in his story. What would that be like today? Uh, Harry Truman, his best friend was a Jew, a guy named Eddie, Eddie Jacobson. One time Eddie Jacobson said to me, why have you never invited me and your wife, my wife to your house? He says, I can't have you in, your, in my house, you're a Jew. What would that happen today in social media? So there's, there's, there's different standards today than they were for some of our presidents, we think of some of our greatest presidents. You made some good points earlier, though, about when they turned the internet on in the General Assembly yeah, and right. how that has elevated the level yeah. of behavior, right. too. It so. makes us better people. And I think, you know, Tony, I get what you're saying, and Mike, you too. Like, occasionally people say things that are off color, right? This is a pattern of behavior. A guy that we literally can't repeat half the things he says or tweets because they are not acceptable on network television. That's a problem for the leader of the free world. All right, we also have been talking about the presidential race, specifically with the Golden Globes and the speech that Oprah Winfrey made, which some saw as a first salvo in her potential running for president. She has since stepped back from, uh, from that. I think she is getting some pressure from some people around her to, uh, to run. Tony, do you think she, she will run? Oh, I'd give it a 50% chance, 50% chance that she would, maybe, maybe greater. Uh, and I was watching the speech. My wife was sitting uh, with me, and I said, boy, everybody tomorrow is going to be talking about uh, her running for president. Sure enough, I'm sure that was planned uh, well before. Uh, the interesting thing is everybody's looking at her as a real potential candidate, but she's got to get through the Democrat Party. You've got Joe Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, Governor Cuomo, maybe Governor Brown. All kind of, when, when those people start running against her, her numbers, if they're high now, are going to go down. But Tony, she's a celebrity, and so is Donald Trump, and he made it through how many, what, well, 16 Republicans? Well, Donald Trump was a very successful business person for years before he was a celebrity. Now, he was a famous, Oprah's successful Oprah's a pretty business successful person. business person. But based yeah. on her, uh, herself, based on her talk show, not on building a global empire. Larry right. Sabato from the University of Virginia said uh, last week, he said, let's just make the presidential race another episode of Hollywood Squares. He said, where's Paul Lynn when you really need him? Well, along Paul those Lynn. lines, there was a really interesting uh, cartoon that, that Gary Varvel did for the star. We can take a look at that right now. It shows, uh, it shows Oprah and, uh, and the president uh, on the stage together. I mean, it is a debate that, frankly, I would love to see in, in any kind of a presidential race, wouldn't you? Are you kidding? All of us would love to talk about that. We'd love to commentate that. We'd love to watch that as political Back animals. But will it happen? I kind of agree with Tony. I think this is probably not, you know, give it a 50% chance. I will say, back in the day, on the Larry King show, Donald Trump did say that his dream vice presidential That's running right. mate sure. would be Oprah. So I do think, though, there's some fatigue with celebrities, and we would all like to see real states people running for office. Okay, there are actually Vegas odds here on who will win the White House in 2020. Donald Trump, a two-to-one favorite. Mike Pence, second, with a one-in-nine chance of being elected president in 2020. And yes, there she is, Oprah right now, uh, in third, her odds one-in-ten, followed by Camilla Harris, 
Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Okay, meantime, President, uh, Vice President Mike Pence will be on the world stage later this week visiting the Middle East. That's uh, next month. He'll be at the Olympics in South Korea. Uh, the president, uh, the Vice President being put in a difficult spot, I think, by some of the comments that the President makes. Uh, Jennifer, wouldn't you agree? It's difficult for him to go overseas and actually have to react to some of the things that uh, the president says it is, but he's been on cleanup patrol since he, you know, signed onto the ticket. That's his job. He walks around behind Donald Trump with a little dustbin and a little broom and, and tries to make it all better. And you know what? He's doing a pretty good job of it. If I were him, I'd rather be overseas. Well, well, Trump is making little messes on the floor in the White House. Um, you know, he he has a great message to take to the Middle East, uh, particularly with the uh, change in the embassy. And when he goes to the uh, Olympics. Um, that's somewhat of a success. North Korea is going to participate. It's a time for congeniality and peace to some degree. I, if I were him, I'd spend as much time overseas as possible. I don't want to run out of time before we keep it local and talk about the State of the State address as well. Eric Holcomb's uh, second address. Uh, your thoughts, Christina, as to the job that the, uh, the governor did? I was very sorry that he didn't address redistricting reform. However, I think he... Um, very rightly so, highlighted the issue of infant mortality in our state. We're the eighth worst in the nation, and that's been made a goal once again in 2024. A very noble goal, very tall order. So there are a lot of challenges he acknowledged. Tony, interesting, some of the things that the governor did not talk about that are, could be potentially uh, controversial coming up in the legislature. He didn't talk about marijuana, didn't talk about Sunday sales. Right. It's, it's interesting because uh, it's a short time frame. And when you have to thank folks and acknowledge folks that are in the in the balcony and, and, and you want to make sure you put the right amount of emphasis on your top priority, which is jobs and the economy and workforce development, he did that. He didn't get to some of the controversies. That would have taken a lot of time. Mike, you've seen a lot of state of the states over the years. Sunday sales, marijuana, they are absolutely meaningless on the larger scale of things. When you're talking about moving the state forward, improving people's lives, he hit the exact points needed to hit workforce development infant mortality, helping our at-risk kids. Jennifer, he talked about jobs. He, he talked about opioids. He talked about infant mortality. He did touch upon some, some very strong issues. I thought it was a pretty solid speech, and i got to be honest, the Democratic Party talking points that I got this morning about it led with that he just isn't strong enough as a leader, and if that's your criticism, you know, the guy's probably doing a pretty good job. Okay, very quickly, want to keep it even more local and talk about the City County Council in Marion County. Jennifer, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Maggie, Maggie Lewis, lo losing her uh, position as president. Uh, were you surprised at, at the infighting among the Democrats? Uh, well, no, I'm never surprised. When one party controls everything, this is what happens. And my party happens to control the council and local government. Republicans control state government, federal government. Uh, it was really disappointing. I think Maggie's done a great job. I think she was a great council president. And I think that there are penalties to be paid for people who are not loyal in politics, either to their party or to the people they say they're going to vote for. So we'll see what happens in the primaries next year. I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave it at that. Because up next, a key deadline approaching that could have a big impact on children's health insurance here in Indiana. Dan is back with a closer look at that issue right after this break. Well, some Indiana children could soon lose access to affordable health care. Congress has yet to approve funding for CHIP, or the Children's Health Insurance Program. Now states could be on the hook for that funding. Nick McGill spoke with health advocates and state lawmakers who are concerned about the future. Nick? 
CHIP IS ESSENTIALLY MEDICAID FOR CHILDREN AND PREGNANT WOMEN. IT COVERS THOSE WHO MAKE TOO MUCH TO QUALIFY FOR MEDICAID, BUT NOT ENOUGH TO AFFORD INDIVIDUAL INSURANCE. CONGRESS DID SET ASIDE MONEY FOR THE PROGRAM TO CONTINUE THROUGH MARCH, THOUGH IT APPEARS THEY DIDN'T SET ASIDE ENOUGH. A lot of people aren't really familiar with CHIP unless it's something that they have needed at some point in their lives. And now Heidi Hinscher-Rauch says many Hoosiers could be at risk. This after a new report that says some states could start running out of money for the program as early as next week. Think how important vaccinations are for children. That's covered by CHIP. You think about their um, dental care. You think about their vision. Anytime a child gets sick and, and needs to go to the doctor. Hinscher-Rauch, who's the director of public health at UND, says if Congress doesn't renew CHIP funding, which costs a little over 14 billion a year, then the burden will be placed on the individual states. CHIP currently provides health care for more than 9 million children nationwide. More than 100,000 of them are Hoosiers. So for a state to just say, well, we're going to take that, that burden of that money on ourselves, that's a big chunk of money to try to find in a state budget. It's early, but we, it, there's a, there is a sense of urgency. State Representative Greg Porter says currently Indiana has about $500 million in Medicaid reserves. So if need be, the state could provide a stopgap for Hoosiers in need. However, he says it's not a long-term solution, so now pressure must be put on Congress. We have a window that is, that, that is cracked that we're going to have to watch, okay? But however, I, I think as time goes on, we will be able to, uh, with the help of the federal government, uh, come back and make that and close that that gap our nick mcgill reporting from the state house bob and the panel are back to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers next all right time now for this week's winners and losers we'll go down the line start with you tony I'd say winners being workers in the country that are seeing raises, seeing bonuses, companies benefiting from the tax cut, and they realize they're going to, so they're offering those uh, those incentive, those bonuses to their workers. Christina, you're next. Um, uh, the Central Indiana Community Foundation and the Women's Fund for bringing Michelle Obama mm -hmm. here in February. It sold out like that. Michelle's going to be talking about some really critical issues facing girls and women, and everybody wants to hear from her. I heard the lines were long for that. All right, Mike. The loser has to be Trump this week. I hate to say it, but, I mean, one more international incident. It's, it's a weekly thing. Um, and, and I would say the winner has to be Governor Holcomb. Solid speech, a good agenda to move forward in 2018, and I think he's going to get cooperation from, you know, right-thinking um, Democrats as well. About 15 seconds yep, left. My, my winners are Democrats federally. There's a, uh, nationally, there's a 17-point advantage, uh, Democrats over Republicans, and my losers are Democrats locally. We've got to get our act together and not have another debacle like happened with the leadership on the council. Thank you all for coming in. That's it. We'll see you again next Sunday for In Focus.